0: He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 1, verses 11 through 12. Lord, would you help us attend to your word this morning? You promised that when your word goes forth that it will come back bearing fruit. Would you do that now? through your word, ripen and bear fruit in our lives and in our hearts for the sake of your name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. He came to his own, the word, the one in whom all things hold together, Jesus Christ, who was with God in the beginning when our world was created, the one apart from whom nothing was made that was made the one who in fact was God and is God, the very light of light and God of God became flesh and dwelt among us. This incarnation is at the very heart of our faith. The very son of God became the son of man so that sons of men may become sons of God. The light of the world Shown himself into the darkness, so that those living in darkness may be transferred into the kingdom of light. This phrase, came to his own, gives the impression that Jesus was somewhere else, perhaps in heaven, before he came to earth. But Jesus was not somewhere else, waiting to enter the world he created, Christ, who is God and with God, is omnipresent. He's present everywhere. He fills all things. His coming to his own was not a matter of transportation, moving from one place to another, but of condescension, moving from one rank or status down to another. He took on human form. He humbled or lowered himself. John writes, Christ was in the world, and yet the world did not know him. He was in the world, but the world did not see him. So he lowered himself, taking on the form of a man. He put on flesh to make himself seen. He came to his own people, yet they did not receive him. His people are not his simply because he was one of them, a Jew. It's not the same, like I'm from the South, and so I call Southerners my people. The Israelites belonged to Jesus because they were his treasured possession. He did not simply belong to them, one among many. They belonged to Christ, the one who claimed them for himself. And in one sense, all people belong to God. We, along with everything else on this entire earth, are his, for he made it. Jesus was certainly a Jew, he belonged to the Jews, but the Jews, Israel, was especially his people. They were a people that he set apart for himself. You could even say created for himself. He made a covenant with their father, Abraham, promised him blessing and heir and to be made into a great and mighty nation. Though some meant it for evil, God sent Israel to grow and flourish in the mighty nation in the land of Egypt. Though Pharaoh's heart was hardened towards God and his people, our mighty God delivered Israel out from under Pharaoh's hand. And at Mount Sinai, God made a covenant with this great nation, over a million strong that he had delivered and set apart for his own purposes. For centuries thereafter, God faithfully preserved these especially set-apart people of his. Though they were a stiff-necked and rebellious people, he continued faithfully, moving them towards the fulfillment of his promises. Christ, the heir through whom all nations of the earth would be blessed, came to his people and made good on his promises. And so the fact that they were his own in such a deep and beautiful way makes their not receiving him all the more treacherous. When I first read these verses, I sort of glossed over this blatant betrayal. So I want not to do that with you today. Emily and I just made it through the Lord of the Rings uh, movies for the second time. There's this moment as Frodo, Gollum, and Sam are trekking up this dark, narrow staircase on the borders of Mordor. Gollum, this demon creature, has been leading Frodo and Sam into a trap. He convinces Frodo that Sam is trying to betray him. Frodo tells Sam to go home in what has to be one of the most heartbreaking moments of betrayal depicted in cinema. Sam was Frodo's dear and loyal friend, not just because they were both hobbits from the Shire on a journey in a foreign land. Sam was accompanying his friend on this journey, not because he had to, but because he loved Frodo, and he wanted to fight for what was good and right in the world. He was willing to sacrifice his own food, strength, dignity, even his life, so that Frodo could continue on his mission And yet Frodo, deceived by the wicked creature, did not receive Sam. Instead, he sided with evil and sent Sam away, as if to die on his own. Frodo kept Gollum around, believing that there was still some good in the wretched creature. But through deception, he began to doubt that there was any good left in his beloved companion. This calling good, evil, and evil good is the type of rejection, the type of betrayal that our Lord Christ experienced for our sake. Jesus, the one who desired to hold his people near his bosom, like a tender mother holds her infant, or under his wing as a mother hen cares for her chicks, he was handed over to die, a humiliating and agonizing death not just on Israel's behalf, but for the sake of the whole world. I want to be careful not to depict Christ as weak, even in his death. He was not frazzled by this rejection. He was certainly grieved and wounded, but not surprised or debilitated. He was forsaken by his people, but not carried off of his mission. Jesus died the death of a wicked man on a cross, and in a moment... Darkness and evil seemed to win, but this was precisely what Christ humbled himself to do. In his death, Christ claimed his victory over death itself, sin, evil, and darkness. The picture of the cross is a picture of good triumphing over evil, of God taking what men meant for evil, and in his perfect wisdom, meaning it for good. Christ did not divert or shudder as his own people sided with evil. He instead stretched out his loving arms and interceded for the very ones who betrayed him, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He did this for your sake and for mine, indeed for the sake of the whole world, so that all who do receive him might have the right to become children of God. Jesus Christ gave himself up to die the death of the guilty so that we, wretches, who betrayed him may have life. And not just simply have life, but may be joined with him and in him to become children of God. This is the high honor that is ours in Christ. The church fathers point out that this right or power to become children of God points to something in the future, this was not obvious to me at first glance. As Paul writes in Romans, we here and now receive the firstfruits of the Spirit, yet we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons at the redemption of our bodies. According to Paul, this being adopted as children of God is a reality made complete at the bodily resurrection, the second coming of Christ. Yet, in another way, this is something that we take part in now. In our reading today, the same Paul wrote to the Galatians, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. God sent forth his son so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, Crying, Abba, Father. So, how do we hold these things together, you might ask? Our being sons and daughters and yet awaiting our adoption. Our having been already adopted in Christ through baptism, yet waiting for the fullness of this reality at his return. This type of seeming contradiction proves the truth and beauty of our faith. Consider Christ himself fully God and fully man, not half of each, not one aspect being overwhelmed or silently existing behind the other, but both fully. G.K. Chesterton points out this balance of paradox as what drew him back to the faith. In a chapter of his book, Orthodoxy, G.K. gives several examples of the paradox of virtues that live in our faith, the happy pessimists, Pessimist, for instance, who both considers himself a wretched fool and yet worthy of saving. This combining of opposites is only possible because it's true. G.K. writes, In Christ, furious opposites are combined by keeping them both and keeping them both furious. Justice and mercy, humility and might, man meaning for evil, God meaning for good. These seeming contradictions prove something about our faith. These are examples of how Christ, in Christ, all things, the beauty and the complexity of our world, hold together. In connection with our passage today, we should consider ourselves both as children of God and as those who are awaiting our adoption. This is not just some intellectual or theological nuance. The scriptures teach us how this should shape the way that we live. As those who are children of God, we rejoice. Our Lord is come. We've been set free from the domain of darkness and delivered into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In him we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. As those who are children of God, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Resting on the assurance that Christ is with us and at work in us to will and to work for his good pleasure As his children we by faith cling to the reality that we have been made new in Christ This was not a result of our own works Rather we were made new by the power of the resurrected Christ in us So that we may carry out the good works that were prepared beforehand for us to walk in Dear friends, we who by faith receive Christ are sons and daughters of the high king of creation. And we are also those who eagerly await adoption. As those who await, we keep our lamps burning, waiting for the return of our master. We with endurance run the race set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As those who await adoption, we wage war, not according to the flesh, but by the power of Christ at work in us. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. And we look forward towards a day when our mighty God and King will return like a rider on the white horse. He will wage war and judge the nations himself. He will strictly examine all things. He will judge every careless word we've ever spoken, everything that we've ever done, and he will issue a good and right judgment on all things. As we approach the table today, would we receive Christ by faith? would we be strengthened to continue in faith, not shifting from the hope of the gospel as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters on the Lord's day. Amen.